Hey everyone, Max here. We had to split this week's episode up into two parts to bring you the best audio quality we can while still getting it to work with our hosting. So, once you finish up our first story, head on over to part two and enjoy the rest of the show. Disclaimer! Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Hi, and welcome to Anachronismo. Uh, I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. I'm Matthew. This week, Matt Lewis is joining us from London. Uh, East London, I think. East uh, London, indeed. Yes. yes, from Stratford in East London. And Matt, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? So I am the artistic director and founder of the theatre company, the Heretical Historians, who have been producing weird little odd moments from history on stage for a fringe limited public. <laughs> yeah, um, which I, I really love. I saw you guys perform a few years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe, and uh, it was your show was really funny and really about these weird niche historical things, um, uh, like one something we'll be talking about later today, a story about Lenin, and uh, about the Cobra Ban in India, sorry, the Cobra Bounty in India, and uh, it's one of the things that inspired me to uh, get this podcast started. So it's very exciting for, for me to have you on. Well, that's good, good, to, be, good to be on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. So Matt, you might know that in a previous episode, we actually talked about the Hartlepool Monkey. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which, uh, which I, um, I understand uh, the historians, heretical historians, uh, recently did a show about. Uh, we did indeed. We, we did a piece based basically on... The relatively apocryphal story of the Hartley Pool Monkey. Um, we turned it into an hour-long kind of punky farce, uh, basically just warning about the dangers of um, too extreme nationalism and shutting yourselves off from a continent because we've got a Brexit thing going on over here. I don't know if it's made it across, but we've heard about Brexit. Yeah, we heard about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It's... it's kind of like not in the news. So I mostly use Twitter for communicating with comedians I know from other countries. Uh, so I've been getting a lot about Brexit through that, mm. and uh, it's it's uh, it's not looking good. It's, it's domestically in the U.S. It's being eclipsed. Yeah, but you <laughs> know, other dumb news. The the dollar is doing pretty well versus the pound right now because of it. So it's not it all bad. It really is. It's um <laughs> it's a wonderful game I used to play where every single day at the the store that I worked I would I would check out the exchange rate and how far it had fallen on the previous day against the dollar. <laughs> That's so sad. It's very oh, bad. You've, you've got to find the fun, you know. We've we've taken back <laughs> control of the country. It's wonderful. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But Long story short, we we hung a monkey to prove a point about about this um, ridiculous um, xenophobia that's happening. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's. I mean, that seems like one of the more cheerful ways you can do that. Yeah, there's that. Were you still working at the Sherlock Holmes Museum, or was have you since moved on? <coughs> I, I I've since moved on. I'm now I'm now working at a West End theatre because um the Sherlock Holmes Museum was where we was where we met, I believe. It was. I was buying some souvenirs. And I asked you to wrap them uh, extra, extra well because I was going to Edinburgh, and we struck up a, struck up a conversation about uh, about shows that were going on, and you gave me a list of them to go see, and said one of these is mine, 
and I managed to figure out it was the one that was all about history and uh, met you there. Who, who would have thought the man dressed up in a Victorian <laughs> outfit would have been interested in history? <laughs> you know, I figured it out through the, the deductive method, Matt. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, is, is there going to be anywhere that people can again see the Hartlepool monkey that you would like to, uh, to plug? Or, uh, or were they going to even buy a copy of the script? Um, the, the script is available from anyone who asks me politely for it. Um, I can, I can leave my email details somewhere, but if anyone wants to, to read it, then I would be more than happy to share Listeners it. Listeners, hit us up on Twitter. Um, and there is, there is also currently another touring production of the Hartlepool Monkey done by the same company as Warhorse, which we found out, um, a month after we had finished our run. So we, we got there first. You heard it from the Radical Historians mm-hmm. originally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean... I feel like the company that did Warhorse and then Hartlepool Monkey, they're just exploiting a niche for animals during wartime. Uh, <laughs> I think that's totally it. I mean, let the little guy have a crack at the animals, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what they said in Hartlepool all those years ago, so maybe. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes the little guy wins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so sad. I know. Oh, however, I oh I can plug our upcoming um, fringe season show. Oh, please do. We are going to be telling the story. Have you ever heard of a gentleman called Nathan Meyer Rothschild? Nathan Meyer Rothschild of of None. the eponymous Rothschild banking dynasty. Oh, I've heard of the Rothschilds, but not this particular one. Yeah, yeah, the the name rings a bell. This was a guy who was, at the time he was alive, the single richest man in the world, who also launched the concept of investment banking by a clever manoeuvre in which he tricked people into thinking the British had lost the Battle of Waterloo and then bought up the stocks while the market crashed. Wow, that's awful. Yeah, that's really bad, but also, I'm kind of impressed. That's, I mean, uh, on, on one level you kind of admire the the smartness and the... The, the, the balls of the guy, but on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the other hand, you go, "Oh, what a thing to bring into the world!" Yeah, I hope he really never actually said the words like the British lost. He just heavily implied it, so he <laughs> could never be pinned down. It's like a lot of rumors coming in from the front, if you know what I mean. What rumors? Oh, I don't like to say. <laughs> How did we do? Well, I'm not taking a vacation in Waterloo anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm going to the south of France with my ill-gotten gains. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we we are hoping to mount this as our big main ship uh, production for uh, the next summer season. So if you happen to be in Edinburgh, look out for the working title we have. We own everything. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. Oh, um, I will. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. I, I, I don't think I'll be in Edinburgh this coming summer because poor... But um, yeah, I'll definitely spread the word, um, and yeah, and definitely send us send us me a copy of the script. I'd love to like read them. I certainly uh, shall. Yeah. There's, there's so much northeastern slang; it's it's incomprehensible <laughs> even to me. <laughs> it's sad when a native un- forgets their own language, isn't it? <laughs> you should give us the the scripts for free, but then charge us for um, for a little phrase book. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But it's for translation, which costs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's. That's how you get them. <laughs> uh, you know, you could also sell those little phrase books at your performances to uh, to raise money. You know. 
learn how to speak like um, an 1800s northeasterner. It's not changed too much from a present day northeasterner. Wonderful. Cut us off a slice of that. I keep thinking you mean nor'easter, like a storm pattern that we have here in the United States. Um, the northeasterner, which is a person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the technical term, as in the the nickname that's known for everyone in well, for, in Hartlepool, everyone's known as the monkey hangers. But the legends still oh. slow. Wait, yeah, really? We, yeah, we talked about that in our episode. They've got like the mascot of uh, the hanging monkey and uh, <laughs> Hangus, Hangus the monkey, Hangus the monkey. Yeah, that's it. Oh. Awfulness is coming back to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's said with so much pride. You've got to, you've got to kind of admire it. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you if you laugh at yourself. Yeah, <clears throat> but the the uh, technical the regional term for um for the northeast region that I'm from, which is Teesside, is a really mm-hmm. old industrial heartland. We've been compared to um we've been compared to as England's Detroit, basically. As it's Ooh. not looking too good up there at the moment. But we are technically known as smoggies due to the really high <laughs> proportion of pollution that there is. That's kind of cute, though. Uh, it, smoggies! Oh, this, look at the smoggies coming this way. It's like you're a bunch of old cats that have lung problems. <laughs> okay, I think that'll, that's, a good, that's a good point to transfer Smog- into these stories. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good shout. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, so, uh, let's say what stories we're going to get into. Um, oh, just a quick heads up. We are re-recording these intros because we, uh, unfortunately lost, uh, Matt's audio for the first third of this show. Uh, so he is going to be conspicuously absent, um, from, uh, our first story. Uh, so it's not because we didn't like what he had to say. It's because we literally didn't have it. <laughs> new microphone, new microphone. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> new microphone who dis <laughs> uh, <laughs> um uh so yeah let's uh dive into our stories uh jackie yeah so today i'll be talking about um a female chinese pirate who was super successful today i will be talking about some of the more absurd happenings during the bolshevik revolution in october isn't it, uh, didn't we just pass the 100th uh, anniversary of that, too? We did. Uh, a week before we started recording was 100 years to the day that the storming of the Winter Palace happened. Well, I'm going to call it timely still. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I will be talking about the Children's Crusade, uh, which is not as cute or fun as it sounds. And Noel will be just offering color commentary. Yeah, Noel's doing his own thing. He's taking a nice stress-free vacation from having to bring in a story. We've edited him into this intro because he is not here to re-record with us. Right, Noel? I'm Noel. That's great. (laughs) I'm Noel. Uh, Oh, he goes on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Noel. Okay, Noel, we get it, we get it. I'm Noel. Well, that's a spicy hot take, Noel. (laughs) I'm Noel. Uh, all right, let's get into it. I'm Noel. So, uh, Jackie, take us away. Yeah. Um, so, Cheng Ai Shao, or Sao, I'm going to just start with an apology on name pronunciations. <laughs> I will try my best. Um, but Cheng Ai Sao was a famous female pirate in China. She was born in about 1775, and I couldn't really find an agreement on what her name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her one thing that I read 
said her name was Shilzang uh, Ju, or Gu, sorry. There's not much known about her early life, but essentially um, she was a prostitute who married a pirate in 1801, mm-hmm. and the pirate's name was Cheng. Uh, so unfortunately to history, her name is Cheng Ai Sao, which literally means wife of Cheng. <laughs> That, oh. is, that is not progressive. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's why I wanted to start by telling you about her uh, potential birth name, Shilziangu. <laughs> um, but in everything I was reading about her, she's mostly known as uh, Cheng Ai Sao or Madam Ching or Ching Shi, which are all variations of wife, wife of, of Ching or widow of Ching. Ching. Mm. Um, which one came first, wife or widow? As names go. Um, I'm willing to bet that it was wife. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, so she married this pirate in 1801. And um, as a, a prostitute, she was mixing with the movers and shakers. And very much so uh, was kind of controlling people from a distance <laughs> to get what she wanted. Um, so when the pirate wanted her to be his wife... Um, she only said that she would agree if he agreed to share equally in his power um, and his uh, loot and also gave her uh, the opportunity to secure more wealth, which <laughs> is pretty cool. Um, so they get married and they basically just are co-pirates of this pirate fleet called the Red Flag Fleet. Um, and I, th- I thought it was interesting that in China there wasn't a stigma of having women on boats like there was in the West. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're always saying that women are... Well, not anymore, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> the superstitious... Viking cruises <laughs> will not allow women no. lest the ship go down in a storm. I'm sorry we can't hire a woman for our on-cruise entertainments. The menstruation brings the anger of Poseidon, god of the sea. I feel like Viking cruises would lose... Every single one of their passengers, if, <laughs> if women weren't allowed to go. Because mm. I highly doubt there are very many men who are like, I want to take a 55-plus only river cruise. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely only wives mm. <laughs> making their husbands go on these trips. Uh, I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Don't want to speak for all the 55-plus men out there. 55-plus men, please write in with uh, your stories of all-male river cruises. Let's get an all-caps email. I love I love cruises. Just letting you know, thanks. <laughs> the shuffleboard alone is worth it. Um, so they're co-pirates for about six years. Um, and when, when they got married... Uh, Cheng had about 200 ships. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while they're working together, they make alliances with other um, pirates in the area. Mm-hmm. And I was having a hard time figuring out if the heights of their fleet were accomplished while they were still co-pirates or when she was on her own. Um, but they eventually got to having um, 1,500 ships from 200 from making different pirate alliances and just growing their own fleet. Um, So in 1807, Cheng died suddenly. I couldn't find information about how. One source said he was killed in a tsunami, and another one said he was murdered in Vietnam, but it didn't elaborate why he was murdered. Mm. So That tsunami was out to get him. (laughs) 
It, it ambushed him in an alley with a knife. Probably. So she decides... <laughs> the tsunami in an overcoat and big hat. She just walks up to him. <laughs> I thought he was just walking through puddles. Mm-hmm. So, um, when Cheng dies, uh, Cheng Ai Sao, I suppose, becomes Ching Shi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, wa- Wi- wife widow. Of Cheng widow becomes of widow of. Wife of Cheng? <laughs> wife of, of dead Cheng. Cheng. Becomes Cheng's widow. Mm. Um, so, once he dies, she installs a man named Cheng Pao as the official captain of the fleet. But he's really sort of captain in name only. Mm-hmm. She uh, she picked him because he was easily influenced. Um, and he was also the second in command uh, while her husband was alive. So it made it sort of like an easier transition. But she was really calling all of the shots. She was taking over the, the, the business end, the military strategy, the governing of all of these people in the fleet. Um, and some of the things that she was famous for was that she um, created a code of conduct for all of these pirates um, and it, it really valued loyalty as you might expect mm-hmm. um, there was immediate and severe punishment for not following orders um, if you didn't get the okay from her to do something and you did something you would be immediately beheaded um, it was pretty intense <laughs> but she also came up planning a surprise birthday party for her. Mm-hmm. Not like, a good idea. <laughs> surprise! Good. You, 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 and you. <laughs> Into the batting room. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's it would have been the powder room on any other boat, but they needed to make room for all the heads, so they got rid of the gunpowder. No, uh, a powder room on a ship is where they keep the gunpowder for the cannons. Yeah, my immediate thought was like a stage powder room. <laughs> I was like, this makes no sense. <laughs> uh, well, you know, pirates love the theater. That's one thing you got to know about pirates, No, And they get bored on long cruises, so they put on a lot of theatrical productions. And the Pirates of Penzance. Pirates of Penzance. Originally all pirate production. <laughs> the stage production of um, Peter Pan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, originally, Captain Hook was the hero. They can poke fun at themselves. <laughs> Literally, with their hook hands. Another tenet of their code of conduct was um, treatment of female captives. Mm -hmm. So um, she instituted a rule where if you captured a bunch of women and um, you didn't want them to be your wives, you would just return the ugly ones, was literally the words of three articles I read, Mm -hmm. that you could just return the ugly ones. Um, I suppose that's instead of just murdering them. Which probably what you would do with captives you didn't want otherwise. So uh, I mean, what I read about uh, previous episode Robert Fortune in his encounter with pirates is probably pretty accurate. There was a whole segment on like how they treated captured prisoners, uh, and a lot of it was uh, they uh, shot shot them and cut them up and ate them. Yeah, okay. that's the response I had. Uh, yeah, so when I was reading this, I didn't quite see what was so revolutionary about this, but now that I read it, that's great. Return yeah. return them. Yeah, it really comes off more as, like, expanding out, like, how a restaurant would accept, like, a bad dish bag. <laughs> Excuse uh, me, this this dish is way too ugly for uh, me to eat. I, I feel like I'm, I'd like to speak to the shit. I'm sorry, we'll bring you a free wife. Yeah, I feel like we're we're in weird territory, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> Weird misogynistic um, <laughs> territory. Yeah. Um, 
So pirates were able to take wives, um, but they would be immediately killed mm. if they were not faithful to these wives that were the captives, uh-huh. or if they killed, raped anyone. Killed and eaten, yes. Maybe. Mm. Um, and they also had a rule that any loot that you got had to be basically given to uh, to Chengai Sao mm-hmm. so she could, you know, divvy it up. So you weren't allowed to keep any of your own loot. You had to turn it over, and then part of it would be returned to you. Um, so that was... And you would be, uh, you know, beheaded if you kept your own loot. Did she have any punishments below beheading? Um, there was mutilation for deserters. Cool. Yeah, if you were caught. Lenient, yeah. Mutilated or quartered. Quartering is worse than beheading, I think. Yeah, that's a lot more people. Mm. She was, she really treated um, piracy like a, a business because mm-hmm. she had so many employees. <laughs> she had um, 80,000 sailors in her fleet. Um, which, for comparison, um, Blackbeard had 300 pirates under him, and she had 80,000. So, what? Yeah, this is very impressive. She had 1,500 ships, while Blackbeard so, had four ships. She I, was uh, you, so forced list- to be reckoned with. Listeners at home, you can't hear the sound of my mouth just falling open. Uh but dang. Yeah, and she, she really treated it like a business. Um, she basically controlled the coastline mm-hmm. in this part of the South China Sea. Um, she made economic deals with uh, with towns that they would provide food for all of her pirates. Because you have this many people on boats all the time. Where are you getting food? Um, she set up a system of taxation on these villages. Um, with representation? No. <laughs> Not in, not in favor. I don't know. Well, so Matt, I'm, I don't know how much you know about American history, <laughs> but uh, it's a big no-no over here. <laughs> I mean, she had to be talking to someone to arrange these things, so I guess there was representation in that sense. Okay. Um, but it might have been more along the lines of like extortion and threats. Mm. So her her way of doing things ranged from attacking and pillaging to setting up elaborate protection schemes mm-hmm. as well as blackmailing and extortion so she had a lot of different tools to work with besides just attacking and stealing things mm-hmm. um, and she had a spy network in the mainland um, as well as other connections to the community that's probably not the right word for for the people you pillage <laughs> 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 a pirate with strong ties to the community. Yeah. Ev- the, the head of every household. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, as you can imagine, this gigantic fleet um, was a real sore spot for the, the government at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, they the Chinese Navy was after her, the Portuguese um, and British bounty hunters were all after her, and none of them were successful. So, in, in 1910... The Chinese government were like, we're not, we can't pin her down. We need to just try and find another way to stop all this piracy. So they offered um, her amnesty for stopping to be stopping being a pirate, and she decided to take this as an opportunity for negotiation because um, she she kind of knew that her pirating days were coming to an end. So she decided to negotiate with them for. Uh, universal amnesty for everyone in her fleet. So she negotiated with, the man's name was Zhang Bailing, um, and he was the official she was working with. And 
she eventually got amnesty for everyone but 400 of the pirates. So out of like 80,000, only mm-hmm. 400 were either jailed or executed. What are those 400? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but the two articles that I read said only 126 of them were executed. So that's pretty good. I mean, it's not good that they were executed, but it was a pretty good ratio mm-hmm. of people yeah. in your fleet to get amnesty for everyone else. And besides amnesty, they also got to keep all of their loot. So they were not punished. <laughs> they got to keep all their money. And then everyone, except for those 400 people who were in her fl- in her fleet, um, mm. were all offered positions in the military. Sounds like a real golden lifeboat. Yeah, so she really like took this opportunity to figure out what she could do that would like set herself and most other people up for uh, for a nice post-pirate life. Wow. Um, so she retired back to her hometown and started a gambling house. And then she died peacefully in her sleep at 69 years old. Nice. <laughs> unlike, <laughs> unlike most other pirates who probably died in bloody battles and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the usual uh, usual deaths for a pirate are cannonball, uh, parrot turned turned against you, uh, double scurvy. How often does that parrot one happen? <laughs> what is double scurvy? Uh, it's like scurvy, but you... In both legs? Yeah. What, scurvy doesn't affect the legs. That's diabetes. No, it's the bowed legs, because their uh, oh, bones yeah, that, are weak. You're right, you're right. That's where the peg legs come from. The scurvy just turns them right into pegs. Cool, and I'm really sad that her name is uh, just wife of Chang, widow of Chang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there was also this very weird family element. So um, the second in command that she installed as the like official captain of the mm-hmm. fleet, Cheng Pao, mm-hmm. he was actually um, her adopted son, but he was adopted as an adult. Which apparently was not all that uncommon in China at the time, because it was set up for business purposes. Like, you would want to make someone a family connection before you made them a business connection. So adopting an adult was not unheard of. Cool. Um, But Cheng Pao was also uh, the lover of both her and her husband. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like just this weird adopted adult son lover. Wife of son. <laughs> 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 uh, it would have been cool if all the pirates under her, all like their their name was just wives of Chang. Like that would have been such a cool Chang name. Just eighty thousand pirates, the eighty thousand wives. Of Chang. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Oh man, 80, the eighty thousand wives of Chang dropped dropped a really hot new record last week. Have you listened to it? I love their number one hit single, "Beheaded for Betrayal." <laughs> Uh, oh, um, but like, how cool is that? She yeah. had so many sailors, so many ships, mm-hmm. and then just negotiated from the, for the most of them to just keep all their money and get off scot free, right. and then got most of them jobs. So, like, how awesome is that? That's very good. So, what do you think the four hundred who had to be executed did? So, four hundred were um, punished. Sorry. Only one hundred and twenty-six were executed. Okay, so what There's were the tears? Yeah. All right. Okay, so the four hundred were punished. So they were bad, extra bad pirates, and the 126 were triple evil pirates. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I like to think it was like a deal or no deal situation where all these pirates were like, no deal! <laughs> and immediately were taken away. You really would think that they would know not to take the execution deal. <laughs> you would 
people stay on. A lot of them were illiterate. Oh, uh, that'll do it. That's part. That's also part of why she made um, Cheng Pao the official head because he was very he was illiterate and easy to manipulate. Uh huh. And he um, was just ahead because yeah. he, he betrayed her. Look, I keep going back to the beheading parts, but I yeah, he didn't betray her. Yeah. Oh, okay. But fun fun other part of the story is that Cheng Pao. Um, after they all got amnesty, mm. he actually became an admiral in the Chinese Navy, and then he just went after all of his rival pirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, this story is hilarious. Oh, wonderful. Um, actually, one more, one more PPS on this. Pirate, pirate script? Yep. Pirate post Post-pirate script. Post-pirate script. Post-pirate script. That they can't read. <laughs> so as part of the, um, the amnesty agreement... Zhang Ling, the official person from the Chinese official, um, really wanted um, Cheng Aisao and Cheng Pao to bow in front of him as like a, a symbol of um, of them surrendering. I guess it wasn't quite surrender, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did not want to do that at all. Mm-hmm. So they decided to basically renew their wedding vows Aww. and have um, Zhang Ling be one of the official witnesses and in the ceremony they have to bow to the witnesses as a thank you so he got his bow but it wasn't like in the contest (laughs) so everyone was kind of happy (laughs) so they checked the box of like yes they bowed but it was not it was not in recognition of authority it was just like thanks for being our wedding witness <laughs> thank you i'm so glad you could join my son and i for our vow renewal <laughs> uh, <sighs> they grow up so fast they do. do especially when you <laughs> when you adopt a 20 something year old man <laughs> uh.